How you doing this morning, West Bowles? Good. Had a little rain last night. Praise God for the water, yes? And then praise Him for the sunshine this morning to look at the green things. Amen? These past few weeks, we've been looking at forgiveness, as Craig uh, said. We've been looking at forgiveness as one of the characteristics of the kingdom of God. In other words, forgiveness is something that we bring as ambassadors and representatives of Jesus Christ to a world that's desperate for the kingdom of God. We started a couple of weeks ago by considering how the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9 was forgiven. Forgiven by the very Christian community he was out to get. The forgiveness that Paul received from the very community he was persecuting. We've defined forgiveness as a release from punishment and a release even from the desire that punishment should take place. And we talked about the second part of that definition in particular, releasing someone even from the desire that they pay for what they've done as being the more difficult part of true forgiveness. Last week, we pushed even deeper into the deeper end of the pool, into the challenge of forgiveness, when we discussed forgiving even those who don't first repent of the wrong that they've done. Forgiving those who don't say they're sorry and really, really, really mean it. I offered my opinion that given especially the example of Jesus, who prayed to his Father in heaven to forgive those putting him to death on a cross, even as they were doing it, given especially that example, we too should indeed strive to forgive people who hurt us, whether or not they first admit they're wrong, say they're sorry, and repent. I also suggested to you that one key to understanding forgiveness is to recognize and appreciate the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is primarily about healing the individual doing the forgiving, while reconciliation is primarily at least about healing the relationship that's at stake. One way to look at it then at least with God's help of course, is that it takes one to forgive and it takes two or more, however many are in the relationship, to reconcile. Today, Lord willing, we will complete our look at forgiveness by grappling with the how. How is it that we can actually forgive people? How is it that we can find that hard-to-find place where we no longer even desire that people who hurt us pay for what they've done. My friends, if, if there were ever a God-sized challenge facing us, this is one of them, being able to forgive others. One reason that forgiveness is a God-sized challenge is because forgiveness tends against our very nature in so many ways. Especially, it seems to me, as Americans. What do I mean by that? Well, we live in a country 
a home where not only buffalo roam, not only deer and antelope play, but where lawyers roam and play too. Many have observed that America is the most litigious society to ever appear on the face of the earth. No wonder we struggle with forgiveness. We're taught so often to sue rather than to forgive. This week I go to Washington, D.C. with 43 8th graders. Pray for me. And God bless them, eight adults. Pray for them, too. And we'll go to the place where I'm sure we'll come across the fact that we have rights. A bill of rights, as a matter of fact. Inalienable rights, we cry. Advertisers on TV know this about us, our passion for rights. They know that we pay good money to someone scratching our itch for rights. And so we go around with their little advertising jingles stuck in our head. See how many you can identify. And look at what's common among these advertising jingles. You deserve a break today. McDonald's, good. How about this one? Have it your way. Now, no one in the early service got this next one. I had to go online to find it because I didn't know it either. How about this one? Do what tastes right. Wendy's. Oh, you were here the first service, Taylor, weren't you? <laughs> okay, if you weren't here this service, first service, continue to play along. Oh, you weren't here? Okay. How about this one? Where do you want to go today? That's Microsoft, did you know? I bet you'll get this one. It's everywhere you want to be. Visa. Very good. Yeah, MasterCard. At least you had the credit card thing down. Visa. All right, ladies, here's one for you. Maybe men too, although I'm a little worried if men know this one. Ladies at least, how about this one? Because I'm worth it. L'Oreal. Wow. And then we often add our patriotic flair as well, right? Be all you can be. Isn't it amazing? You see, advertisers know what sells. They know that we like our rights. We're practically brainwashed from birth to be very aware and protective and jealous about our rights and what we deserve. Even some of our youngest kids wear a popular brand of clothes boasting, it's all about me. Have you seen those shirts in line? Those of us a little older, as we stand in an elevator, perhaps, may even wipe away an emotional tear from our eye as we sing along with vigor and longing and with sort of defiance to that old Sinatra song, the anthem of self, really, do you know it? Sing along with me. I did it my way. Our country declared its independence from England. You know what it says in the Declaration of Independence? Why did we do that? 
We did it in order to pursue our own life, liberty, and happiness. Well, you get the idea. It's like shooting fish in a barrel, really, to find examples where the focus of our culture is on me, 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 and my rights. This fascination with me once caused C.S. Lewis to lament and reflect What people need most, he said, is a cause other than themselves. I couldn't agree more. And so when God comes and whispers into our often self-oriented souls, at least, when he whispers, hey, I've got an idea, a better way. Forgive them that persecute you that's indeed a god-sized challenge so how how do we go about meeting this god-sized challenge of forgiveness i've narrowed it down to three things three things in particular that i've noticed at least about how people i know or i've studied that have successfully found their way to true forgiveness it's not a formula but it's something that stood out that Boy, look it, there's something common at least running through successful forgivers. You see them on the screen. One, people who forgive successfully forgive slowly. People who forgive successfully forgive communally. And successful forgivers forgive as they are forgiven. We'll look at each of those three in turn this morning. First, people forgive slowly. C.S. Lewis, again, tells the story of a horrible teacher he had as a boy. This particular teacher was so cruel that Lewis ended up hating this teacher for most of his life. Only a few months before Lewis died, he wrote a letter to his longtime American friend Mary. Dear Mary, Lewis wrote, Do you know only a few weeks ago I realized suddenly that I had at last forgiven the cruel schoolmaster who so darkened my childhood. I had been trying to do it for years. We should never lose sight of the fact, my friends, that it's okay, even expected, even designed, that forgiveness often takes time. We can so easily end up saying to someone who we know needs to forgive someone else, we can so easily preach at them, Hey, Reuben, you know God says we are to forgive, and you know you haven't forgiven Rebecca yet, have you? Well, you need to forgive her, Reuben. God says, Reuben, God says so, and you still haven't forgiven her, have you, Reuben? Oh, Reuben. And even if we don't come right out and say it, what can so easily come across in our however well-intended encouragement and urgency to help someone find forgiveness, what can so easily come across, oh, is that great Italian mafia phrase, right? What can so easily come across is, hey, what's the matter you? What's wrong with you? What's wrong with your face? Are you some sort of prideful, arrogant monster or what? Why don't you just get over it? Why are you so disobedient to God's call to forgive? Come on, forgive. Let's go. And while we should always lovingly encourage one another to forgive, we need to be careful 
to do our encouraging in a way that validates and supports the fact that people often need time, often should take the time to forgive. Perhaps time doesn't heal all wounds, but time certainly helps, it seems to me, helps us reach the place where we no longer desire that someone pay for what they've done to us. The pain dims in time. We have a chance to steady ourselves, which may be reeling from the hurt, steady our identities again in Christ. We have a chance to talk to others about it. It takes time. And you know, God takes His time with a lot of things, doesn't He? <laughs> and it even took, even took the great C.S. Lewis his whole life to forgive someone. So why shouldn't we give ourselves and others the grace of time to work out that hard miracle of forgiveness? We need to be patient with forgiveness. It takes time. Men in the room, in particular, may need to note forgiveness takes time. Seems like I'm always picking on the men, but that's because I are one too. So I'm picking on myself, guys. What do I mean? Why, why men? Well, men, we tend to be Mr. Fix-Its. You men here today, let's take an outlandish example. Let's say you've wronged someone like your wife. <laughs> that never happens, right? Please, men, when you have wronged your wife, please resist the following temptation with all your might. Rebecca, sweetie pie, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. There, I've said it. I'm really, really, really sorry. So, we good now? We're not? Well, honey, Bible says you need to forgive. After all, I've said I'm sorry. What more can I do? And so you forgive me now, right, honey bun? What more can I do? Gentlemen, let me tell you what more you can do. You can give her time. You are not the one to pressure her for forgiveness. Let her friends, her community of others help her with that. Allow God to help her with that. You need to back off. You blew it, and you know you blew it. And so accept it. It's probably going to take some time. You may be on that couch for a while longer. Give her time. And even beyond the male, female, or marriage example, I think one helpful thing for us all to remember is this. If you are the wrongdoer seeking forgiveness, you're not the one to demand or press for it. That will probably only serve to deepen the hurt when you press. The person you hurt may resent what appears to them as an attempt at a quick fix. Make your apology if it is indeed heartfelt. Seek forgiveness. And then give the person the grace and the blessing of time to find their way to a forgiving response. Because people forgive slowly. Another reason forgiveness takes time is 
People need enough time to express their anger over the hurt. Time to express their anger well. Ephesians 4.26 tells us that when we are angry, don't sin. In your anger, Paul writes, don't sin. Anger, therefore, is not the sin. It's okay to be angry. Jesus was angry at least once. Turned over a few tables one day. We don't have to go around denying we're angry. We just need to be on our guard against anger leading us to sin. Nevertheless, a few verses later, Paul tells us to get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. But nowhere does he tell us that it's a quick fix rather than a process. Taken together, these two verses acknowledge that anger expressed well is going to happen and is good. But in time, even anger expressed well, all anger must eventually fade away. But it may indeed take time. I'm reminded of a Seinfeld episode. How many Seinfeld fans out there? Yeah, a few, few of you willing to admit it. I'm reminded of the episode where George Costanza and his dad, every time they feel anger coming on, they start to yell, Serenity now! Serenity now! Remember that one? It's like they're yelling it in an attempt to calm their anger. Of course, it didn't work. But it was interesting to see and probably healthy to laugh a bit at their attempt to find relief so quickly right now from that rage building inside. The futility of the Costanza Serenity Now Anger Management Method, as it's now called in many professional circles, just kidding, The futility of demanding or expecting serenity or peace or relief from feeling angry right now always reminds me that it takes time for anger to fade. It takes time to express anger well. It takes some distance, at least, from the hurtful event and maybe even from the people that hurt you. It takes time for even justified anger. And anger is justified when you've been wronged. But it takes time for even such godly, righteous indignation anger, if you will, to run its helpful course in and through us. Time creates that helpful distance. Forgiveness takes time. People forgive slowly. One writer I came across the past couple of weeks gave this helpful advice. Helpful advice on one thing at least we can be doing during that time between the hurt as we travel toward forgiveness. During that time when we're experiencing anger over it all. His advice is pray for as much as you are able to pray for. I like that. You may not be able to pray, Father, forgive them just yet. You may not even be able to pray for the desire to forgive someone. You may be where you just don't even want to get to the place where you aren't angry anymore because you're clinging to your anger as a defense. It's become a powerful emotional security blanket for you. When you feel angry, you feel strong and empowered because anger is a strong emotion. And and to let go of that power of that emotion of anger, well, you're afraid you'll lose any sense of self you have left. If that's where you find yourself, let me be one to tell you at least, God understands that. 
And if that's where you are, might you at least simply express your anger to God? Could you at least tell Him about it? God, I am so angry. And I don't want to let go of it. I don't. I am so angry. Could you offer that prayer? We often fall into the trap of believing our prayers have to be polished or correct or theologically great or at least contain all of those nice-sounding Sunday school words and phrases before we can even pray. You ever fall into that trap? What a terrible lie of the devil to push our attitude about prayer there. You want an example of a prayer that, in my opinion, God finds absolutely precious? Let's say you're hurting. Someone hurt you. You're very angry about it. Or maybe a close cousin of anger despaired or depressed about it. Maybe you're consumed with anger or despair. And so you run into your bedroom, you slam the door, and you fling toward heaven the following sophisticated prayer. Ah! And that's all you can manage. Because the tears come, it hurts so bad. And you know what? God hears even that prayer and He cries with you. We need to remember that even our most tentative steps toward forgiveness are so precious to God. He rejoices over them. Even our failed attempts at forgiveness are precious in His sight. I've noticed that people who find their way to forgiving someone pray for as much as they are able to pray for. Even if that first prayer is merely a loud shout or maybe a barely audible sob into the shoulder of God. And it takes time to get to that prayer of actually asking God to forgive someone who hurt you or to forgive them yourself. Forgiveness takes time. People forgive slowly. Second, people forgive communally. What do I mean by that? I won't spend as much time on this one, not because it's any less important. It's very important. I've noticed in order to forgive, people who hurt often need other people who hurt as they do. They need people who hate the wrong as much as they hate the wrong. When I'm hurting, I need to spend time with people who are struggling as hard as I am, both with the wrong and with finding my way to forgiveness. Here's where the community of God, here's where the church can be priceless in finding our way to forgiveness when we sit and cry over pain in our lives with someone else who is experiencing the same pain or one like it, oh, we're strengthened. And not just because misery loves company. <laughs> or maybe it is because misery loves company. It helps when we realize that we're not all alone in our anger and frustration and hurt. It helps when there's someone else sitting there crying over it all too. Someone that we know who truly empathizes with me. 
Someone who I know is right there with me in the struggle or one very similar to it. And it especially helps if that person or at least one of that person or member of that group surrounding me has actually found a way to forgive similar pain. Oh, that gives me hope. She faced the same thing I faced or am facing. She worked through the pain. She worked through the anger, the despair. Oh, maybe I can too. And I can ask questions like, how did you ever manage to forgive them? Would you please help me find that path too? A fellowship of slow forgivers is priceless as we work our way slowly toward forgiveness. People who forgive, forgive slowly. And people who forgive, forgive communally. Last but not least, in fact, I've saved what I think is the best for last. I've noticed that people who forgive, forgive as they are forgiven. What do I mean by that? You may have noticed this pile of stones. Congratulations to all the praise and worship team for ignoring them as I asked them to. I asked um, the few of the proud, the landscaping crowd who's been doing landscaping around the church volunteer-wise, Bless God for all of you. This uh, Saturday to bring some stones up here. And uh, as I know, some of you um, are very visual, visual learners. And these stones represent my sin. And they're heavy. Now, they don't represent all of my sin. If I had a stone for every one of my sins, I don't even imagine that this whole building, the whole world, the whole universe could hold the pile. So great is my sin. And it's what we carry around. And you know what? It's what we put and do against God every day. And truth be told... Every one of us in here has a big old pile of sin. Rocks like this. And you look at it, and you feel it, and you struggle against it, and it's always there. Paul says in Romans, he does what he doesn't want to do, and he doesn't do what he wants to do, and it's just right there. And you look at it, and it's hopeless. There's nothing I can do about my own sin. I don't deserve anything from God. I don't deserve any grace, any mercy, any forgiveness, nothing. I deserve only death. And it's hopeless. And yet, He forgave me! He fixed me forever and ever and ever. Amen? Nothing that I've ever done deserved it. If I got what I deserved, folks, it would be hell forever. And it's by His blood, which He gave willingly, that I'm saved. 
despite anything that I've done. He's fixed the death problem. And it's not just for one year or ten years, but for a billion years, I get to be in heaven forever and ever and ever, even though I don't deserve it. Why would an Almighty God love me? I have no idea, but He does. Praise God. And that's true of all of you, too. And I'm always struck whenever... I'll confess something to you. Whenever I try to open that door, even in my own heart and life and being, whenever I try to open that door to that passion of what God has actually done for me, it's hard. Whenever I try to share that with people, even a room full of church-going people on a Sunday morning, I can feel, whoa! Why is that? Why is it so hard to remember that first moment of salvation? Why is it so hard to appreciate deeply and to fall on our knees and to cry over the amazing thing that God has done for us? The devil throws so many things, clutters our lives with so much noise. And I think one of his targets is, you know what i got to do? I got to distance those followers of Jesus Christ from their passion and their appreciation of what God has done for them. Because if I can draw a wedge in between that, between what God has done for them and how they live their lives, oh, I got them. And their witness will be muted. And people will look and watch them live their lives and they'll see their passion invested in other things. And for this morning's purposes, they'll have a much harder time forgiving when they themselves don't realize that they've been forgiven it all. We play this game. This game where we're not as bad as the next guy. We convince ourselves that we're certainly not as bad as those losers that hurt us. And if there's one single barrier to true forgiveness of others, my friends, this may be it. That false pride, that false feeling that we're not as needing of forgiveness as those who hurt us most. That's a lie. Pride cripples our ability to forgive. Pride stops forgiveness dead in its tracks. It's only when we realize that we too are dirty, rotten scoundrels who no more deserve forgiveness than anyone who has ever lived, than anyone who has ever wronged us. It's only when we immerse ourselves deeply in the amazing grace that God gave us that we will find the same grace to forgive others. In other words, we discover and accept to our core, when we do that, our own desperate need for God's grace, when we discover and accept to our core that He freely gave His grace to us with no strings attached, when we find, when we do that, we'll find the same grace, His grace to forgive others. It will literally spill out of us and onto others too. Streams of living water, Jesus once said, will flow from my people. We cannot forgive without God's help and grace. It is a God-sized challenge. And because it's a God-sized challenge, only God can do it. And that's the rub. He has done it. 
in the blood of Jesus Christ. And because He has done it, we can too with His help, with His grace, He will give us the grace to forgive. And when we realize the depth of the miry pit we were in and that we would still be in today, but for the grace of God, we're then able to receive God's grace of forgiveness to in turn give it to others. When we realize we've been forgiven, we can then forgive. The late um, Professor Lewis Smead from Fuller Seminary shares this story about Corey Tinboom. Corey Tinboom was stuck for the war years in a concentration camp, humiliated and degraded, especially in the delousing shower where the women were ogled by the leering guards. But she made it through that hell. And eventually she felt she had, by grace, forgiven even those fiends who guarded the shower stalls. And so she preached forgiveness. For individuals, for all of Europe, she preached it in Blumendahl in the United States. And then one Sunday in Munich. And after the sermon greeting people as they left, Corey saw a man come toward her, hand outstretched. Ja, Fraulein, it is wonderful that Jesus forgives us all our sins, just as you say. She remembered his face. It was the leering lecherous, mocking face of an SS guard of the shower stall. And her hand froze at her side. She could not forgive. She thought she had forgiven all. But she could not forgive when she met a guard standing in the solid flesh in front of her, ashamed and horrified at herself. She prayed, Lord, forgive me, I cannot forgive. And as she prayed, she felt forgiven. Accepted in spite of her shabby performance as a famous forgiver. (laughs) You know what happened? Her hand was suddenly unfrozen. The ice of hate melted. Her hand went out. She forgave as she felt forgiven. And I suspect, Professor Smead writes, Corey would not be able to sort out the difference. When's the last time that you've felt forgiven? When's the last time you've been overwhelmed and undone by the fact that you are forgiven by God? you believe you're forgiven? Do you feel forgiven? Boy, the devil robs us of so many. If you haven't been there for a while, for whatever reason, I invite you, I plead with you, as your friend in Christ, pray for that. Pray for the grace to deeply feel what God has done for you the infinite good that God has given to you when He forgave you. 
Find that. Pray that God gives that to you. And when you experience God's grace in your own life, when you experience and own God's forgiveness despite your own sin, you will, in my opinion, have a much easier time forgiving others for their sin against you. Just like Corey did. When we realize we've been forgiven, we can then forgive. People forgive slowly, they forgive communally, and they forgive as they are forgiven. Let's pray. And then following the prayer, I've asked Craig and Suzanne to close with a song that Katie Brady brought to my attention. Um, What an amazing song. And it's a song about (laughs) so much. A song about pushing our way through the anger, pushing our way through the desire that justice be served, pushing our way through justice to mercy and forgiveness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, forgiveness is indeed a God-sized challenge. We need you desperately in order to be able to forgive. Would you allow us to feel and to give to others that it's okay if forgiveness takes time? If we're struggling with forgiveness, Father, or when we struggle with forgiveness, would you surround us with other successful forgivers or other pilgrims on the path toward forgiveness that can empathize with us and pray with us. And Father, would you create in us, reignite in us, fan into flame in us a deep, heartfelt, appreciation for what it is that your son Jesus did for us on that cross. So that, Father, we might find our way beyond justice and the demand for justice to mercy. We love you. And we pray in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.